Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. When did we stop using a travel advisor? Travelsmiths waiving fees for Warden's Watch listeners and working with first responders to give them discounts on travel needs. Call them, 732-899-8400 or travelsmiths.com. That's T-R-A-V-E-L-S-M-I-T-H-S dot com and see how they can assist you. 33 years in the business does make a difference. Call Sally and give her a chance. I think you will be impressed. This is Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and let them know Warden's Watch Podcast sent you. Wish you could fish more, anywhere, anytime. Rod Geeks, a St. Croix Rod's partner, has developed a 42-inch one-piece travel rod designed and built with the same technology found in St. Croix Rods. This travel rod is offered as a kit that comes with the RG42 rod, spinning reel, fishing line, pliers, and tackle tray. All in a case with space for your wallet, phone, and fishing license. Just grab and go. Perfect to keep in your pickup, car, or RV. This shorty performs much like a longer rod, but is compact enough for easy storage and for on-the-go use. Make this the summer you fish more. RodGeeks.com Guidefitter is the industry network for professional outdoor guides and outfitters. The trusted destination for consumers seeking and sharing guided hunting and fishing experiences of a lifetime. And the enterprise influencer marketing platform for outdoor brands. Guidefitter and its members represent the pulse of the guided hunting and fishing industry. Guidefitter's outdoor partners provide discounts to select types of outdoor professionals, including game wardens, members of the military, guides, outfitters, and other outdoor professionals. Over 145 brand partners and counting. Gear across many categories, including packs, footwear, clothing, flashlights, knives, optics, even firearms and ammo. For more information, go to guidefitter.com slash wardenswatch. That's wardenswatch, all one word. I'm Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and I'm a member of Guidefitter. This podcast is brought to you by Maine Operation Game Thief. Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, 
and other game wardens on our adventures, protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experiences of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from game wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves game wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch. Episode 29, The Hidden War. And episode 29 is in, uh, it, it's, it's been a year. Can you believe it's been a year? 29 episodes, 52,000 unique downloads, and Warden's Watch is in the top 20% of podcasters in one year. That's just incredible. That's just incredible. And that's a huge thanks to everybody that's listening. A huge thanks to all the game wardens that have participated in Warden's Watch. And a huge thanks to the sponsors that have just helped me launch this and be able to tell the stories of those men and women that call themselves game wardens. And we have some incredible stories, as you've heard. And there's some incredible people out there, incredible game wardens, and just some incredible things going on that Warden's Watch is bringing out and highlighting. And I just I just love it that we can do it. I've really enjoyed this year. It's still keeping me connected to the Game Wardens. It's making new friends for me, making new brothers and sisters across this nation. It is an honor and a pleasure to do this type of work for them to tell their stories and to bring those that information to you, to make it informational so you know what goes on behind the scenes. Um, and thanks to, to those folks at Engel Entertainment. There have been a lot of support that produced Northwoods Law. They're breaking all kinds of records with Northwoods Law, with Animal Planet. Uh, thanks to them. They, they've been supportive as much as they can be supportive. If you look on, well, if you see the new episode where we're going to do the Northwoods Throwdown, uh, I am the voice. I had to do all the re-recordings for all the announcing. I was one of the announcers, did one-third of the announcing, but when it came to the audio for the actual television show Northwoods Law, they had to redo it. They had to, the audio wasn't good enough out of the announcer station, so I redid all of that and worked it hand-in-hand with those folks, and they're, they're just a great group of people that put on that show, and it's a great show. But now, we're, we're going to go back a little, we're going to take a step back, and we're going to take a step forward at the same time, and I'm just so excited. Uh, my guest today is John Norris Jr., The Hidden War. You've heard him. I called him the Weed Warden Trailblazer. We've done a podcast with John before. John's a very dynamic individual, and we're going to hear about his book, The Hidden War, and we're going to hear a lot of details in it. We talked a little bit about it in the first podcast, but we're going to get right into it. A uh, very emotional uh, podcast, I think, for both of us. I think it brought us back to a, a time where both of us could relate to, where um, those feelings creep back. I always try to put the listener in the position of the, 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 the person being interviewed or in the situation. I hope you can feel like you're riding shotgun with us when you're listening to Warden's Watch. And that's what I want you to feel like when you... You listen to John and the description of his book and the description of things that happened to him and his team. 
and just put yourself in that situation and, and feel that intensity. Because I could. I could. This interview was very dynamic. And at the end, at the end of this podcast, stay tuned. Stay tuned because uh, John and I are going to be doing talking and we're going to do some announcing here. We got a big, big announcement. I am so excited. Warden's Watch is going to come to the next level. You guys are going to be so psyched to hear what we got planned. So, But I want to want to do that together, me and John, at the end of this podcast. So stay tuned. When John's done the podcast, we're going to come back on live. Conservation Officer Game Warden Wayne Saunders, the host of Warden's Watch, and John Norris, and we're going to have a big announcement for you. So stay tuned for that. And enjoy episode 29. It's our landmark. It's a year one year of Warden's Watch, one year of bringing you those stories, one year of my sponsors reaching out. And it's so important. My sponsors, I've been very happy with those guys. They're just just great individuals that I have a relationship with and that I can work with and that I'm proud to be a sponsor of their products. And I just hope that continues through the Warden's Watch uh, career because that is so important to me to have high-quality products, people, apps, everything. It's just important to me when I advertise, I'm advertising the best and I'm advertising for a reason. We have a uh, travel Smiths with us now. I would, t- if you're going to travel, pick up the phone and, and run things by Sally. Very, very impressive people that are highly traveled and highly experienced and willing to waive some fees for Warden's Watch listeners willing to go that extra step for first responders, just just try it. I think you will be, just like I was, just impressed. I'm like, why am I spending hours and hours and hours on a computer trying to plan my trip when I can call Sally and when she can get it done in a fraction of the time that I can? So they're just new partners, and it's just I think it's going to work out good because, again, that high-quality products, those high-quality services – that we have been advertising. Thanks again. Please, please, please like me on Facebook, follow me on Instagram. And here's a new one, Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, they have a place to write a review. If you can write a review for me, that's positive, of course. I'm five stars so far on Apple Podcasts. I want to keep my five star rating. I want to, I definitely want to do that. But Apple Podcasts is a great place to write a review for me. That helps me and it helps the other people that come on to it, they, they get onto Warden's Watch and they see it and they're like, oh, five-star rating. And then they start reading what you guys say about the Warden's Watch podcast. And that, that's important to get new people, to get new people incorporated listening to the Warden's Watch. So, and I hope you guys continue to download, to share it with your friends. Uh, let everybody know. Share it. If you're enjoying my show, you're enjoying the stories of the Game Wardens, and share it. Tell it with your friends. Let's let's grow this podcast. Let's let's make this huge. It already is huge. I'm very, very happy. Ecstatic actually. Episode twenty nine marks a year of Warden's Watch. Top twenty percent of podcasters. Fifty two thousand unique downloads in a year. Here is John Norris, and I don't want to take anything away from John Norris and the Hidden War, because this again on the on the edge of my seat when I was doing this interview, my chest is pounding by putting myself in John's shoes. I just get that feeling, that conflict, that, you know, I hope you can hear the emotion in, in my voice. At times, I got I to gotta take it easy. I can hear the emotion in John's voice. This hidden war is a passion because it's an environmental war. It is something that every game warden is fighting on every level, from poaching to littering 
to everything that's affecting our outdoors. So sit back, enjoy episode 29. Thank you for listening. So this podcast, it's, a, it's already been pretty awesome because what you guys don't hear is the, the pre-interview uh, type thing that we do. And I'm here with John Norris Jr., retired uh, California game warden, who's, who's just sent out his second book called The Hidden War. We're going to talk about what the hidden war is in California, what the hidden war may be near us as well, and kind of give us an eye-opener because it certainly eye-opened me. But a, as I talked to John... It, it, it became very fluid, game wardens talking, and uh, <laughs> fellow brothers, and uh, I just we, we, we just clicked. We're, we're, we're just going to talk about a, a lot of different things, and I think uh, everybody's going to really enjoy. We'll see, we'll see how it goes and see where it goes. Thank you for joining me, John. Thanks so much, Wayne, for having me. Good yeah. to meet you, and good to be on. Yeah, it's, it's, this is, um, you know, I, I got to admit, when I first saw this, I, I was overwhelmed because I, I was trying to put myself in your shoes, and I was like, no way. <laughs> <laughs> not what we think a game wardens are doing no yeah. no and, and can you share what is the hidden war with everybody yeah the hidden war wayne is a, it's my second book um it's one that really highlights our agency in california i think probably the the country's um first tactical game warden team developed specifically to deal with the drug trafficking organizations what we call dtos out of mexico that are all throughout america most illegally and they're doing everything from growing tainted and poisoned cannabis and distributing it on the black market to all of our states and methamphetamine production, fentanyl production, human trafficking, gun running. With our forte and the team's forte being developed in 2013 to tackle this particular very violent threat that is just wreaking destruction on our wildlife resources, more environmental damage that, that I have seen, you know, my whole career. And I'm just retired, you know, not too long behind you retired in December of last year after 28 years of an amazing career in California. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and like you, I did everything. I started with the traditional, traditional you know, angling and hunting enforcement that everyone knows. Everybody uh, thinks that all we do is check licenses. Yeah. Yeah, That's what we do. We check hunting and fishing licenses. We just check hunting licenses, you know. Have a nice uh, day and move on. Drive by and close the gate sometimes behind us in the park and keep cruising and, um, and did all of that and, you know, did commercial marine and undercover operations and covert buys and marine enforcement what the hidden war goes on to, and it really kind of gets into the most proximate development from my first book, War in the Woods, the drug cartel fight yeah. and how it's not really a drug cartel fight per se, but it's really, it's a environmental crime fight and it's a pro public safety fight mm. and something we were thrown into in the early two thousands that I never anticipated in my career. And it's just more from that. Yeah. And what, what hit me was the environmental impact that these growers are having and that they're doing it on public land, our, our, our land. So they're abusing, you know, our land and abusing it substantially. Yeah. It, it's it's uh, sickening to see what one grow site that these guys do, the impacts it can have. Not only the, the, the public safety aspect of it, when what really triggered it is I was in the woods and based on a tip, from a good high school buddy of mine. Actually, I've known him since he was a kid, big friend of our family's um, forever. And he was an environmental scientist, fisheries expert. And he was doing his master's thesis on red-legged, yellow-legged frogs and steelhead trout, actually in um, the tributary to Coyote Creek, which is one of the last steelhead spawning beds left in the Silicon Valley of California, where I'm originally from, Mm. that goes all the way out to the South San Francisco Bay. So he's doing this four-year study. 
And one of his tributaries one day in like late April is just bone dry. All the fish are dead, you know, frogs are drying up. There's like visqueen plastic and little weird debris, you know, at, at the bottom of the mountain where the little base camp is. And he calls me up in a panic, you know, just loving his study and half his one of two tributaries are just bone dry and everything's dead. Mm. He's been studying these critters for like years, you know, looking at viability. So this was unusual. Very unusual. And he called me and said, someone's got to be stealing water up top. And mm. being the local game warden, and it was right next to Henry Coast State Park, really the, the pivotal, inspirational backcountry area where I grew up learning to love wildlife and, mm. and wild lands, um, I was pretty upset. And I think, well... It's and stealing be. water out here, is that something to, for an Easterner? I, I don't think about stealing water. Right. And even out West, bud, we, we didn't, I didn't really think there would be any reason to steal water up high. Who could be doing it? So first mm-hmm. thing that came to my mind was it's got to be maybe a, an adjoining farmer next to this public land remote piece of property. Right. It's maybe diverting the creek for cattle mm-hmm. or he's growing crops. Right. So that's all it would be. I mean, logic, that's mm-hmm. all we could really derive. Um, so I throw him in the truck. We go to the top of the hill, and I've got a backpack, my assault rifle, um, some provisions, a couple medical supplies, and he's an unarmed civilian, mm-hmm. and he's my you know ride-along, he's my informant, what we all in the old days used to do. This was before we had really stringent ride-along policies, and he was a wealth of information. What year is this? This would be 2004. Okay. So it was, it was a little while ago. Yeah. And we, uh, we hike into the canyon, we keep going down, 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 and we get into the most pristine headwaters to this Dexter Canyon that he's doing his study in. And I'm seeing the headwaters of Coyote Creek. I've never seen before. Mm-hmm. And as we go down this little mini Grand Canyon and I see the last of the pool of, you know, the winter runoff left and I see a hose in it, a, a black poly pipe that's t- taking the water and sucking it out onto the shoreline. And then there's this pipe running down the Creek bank and there's a dam. So nothing's making it downstream. And I went, well, that's really strange. I mean, what's a little tiny one inch black pipe doing for a farming operation. I mean, right. if this was agriculture, you'd think it would be a bigger hose. You usually mm-hmm. see a pump. You know, I grew up around farmers and cattlemen and how they do business. I wrote, you know, cowboyed a little bit on some ranches where I grew up. So this was completely out of my familiarity area. And we hiked down and sure enough, we followed, we went down that rabbit hole and followed that water line. And pretty soon I see uh, little marijuana plants. They were only about a couple feet high because it was very early in the season. And past that, I saw what was probably infrastructure of a camp or a kitchen area. So they were camping out there. And then I saw my first cartel growers from south of the border that I've ever seen live. And my heart skipped like five beats. And these guys were very situationally aware, even though they didn't know anybody was down there in this canyon or we were there. Mm-hmm. It's almost like they felt our presence. They were, you know, kind of on high alert, looking around, almost scanning tactically. Yeah. They had AK-47 rifles slung. They had machetes, and um, they were working in the dirt around their plants, but also occasionally looking up and looking around. And I went, this isn't a farmer diverting water. I just ran into, this looks like a Central American cocaine Sandinista patrol or something. This was crazy. Mm. And so now my mind's thinking, okay. Had they seen you at this point? They, oh, they haven't seen us, okay. thankfully. And now we're hiding in a cut bank of a creek and we're maybe 30 yards from him. Mm. And I'm telling my partner, just stay behind me, stay low, don't move fast. We had the concealment, a little cover of the bank. That was the most stressful moment of my career so far because I realized we had no radio coverage down there. Our hand packs weren't working. There was no cell coverage. I had one battle rifle. I had an unarmed civilian with me. 
And you know what I was thinking. If this goes where it could go, as armed as these guys are, and they already mm. have a felony crop, and this isn't your typical poaching scenario, right? this could get really nasty for all of us. Mm-hmm. And we hugged that bank. I covered them with my rifle very carefully. We you know, kind of stayed hidden. And they got to about 15 yards close to us, working their plants and scanning and looking around. And then they worked up the hill and out of sight, fortunately, before they saw us. So we waited quietly and then slowly went back up the creek to where the water diversion started and just wide-eyed and adrenaline dumping like, what the heck was that? We were both Mm. blown away and went to the truck. And that's when the whole process started. You know, that's when I first started working with narcotics task forces and turning this into guys that worked it. And uh, War in the Woods, actually, the first chapter of my first book goes into this because this was the awareness of what I didn't realize was going to change my career path a hard 90 degrees and change it forever. Right. was that tip from my friend and um, had no idea the magnitude of it at that point. But when we did the raid and went in as the scouts and the guides to get the other agencies into the canyon, we found the bad guys again. It was about a month later. We didn't catch them. Um, we certainly could have caught them mm-hmm. had we done it a different way. Right. But it wasn't my place to say at that point. Mm-hmm. We cut all the plants and destroyed them. We had a military Pavehawk helicopter come in because the, the National Guard and the counter-drug task force made up of all special forces, military personnel from the Air Force and the Army, Marine Corps, they're over here in the reserve program when they're not fighting the war on terror in Afghanistan or rescuing injured soldiers. They were on the California coastline actually working counter-drug against the DTO cartel groups growing marijuana in Cali and many other states. I never worked with a helicopter team like that as a game warden. Mm. It blew me away. So when this big massive warship comes in with a hundred mile an hour roto wash, just almost blowing us over, <laughs> I was like, I was blown away, a little freaked out. Um, I took my first hoist ride with a partner warden of mine up a hoist about 200 feet into the bird to get flown out of there that day. That was super exciting. That was an e-ticket yeah, ride. A little adrenaline kicking. I, I got a taste of a different side of uh, the law enforcement job. You right. Know? But that day we, we eradicated all the plants. We took the plants out and then we left. And I was looking around at this site, Wayne, and I'm like, wait a minute, that diversion with that water pipe that's mm-hmm. killed all these fish, it's still there. Yeah. All this water is just running onto a hillside full of holes now from the plants we removed. I mean, I saw bags of fertilizer. I saw a bunch of, you know, miracle Grow and a bunch of normal chemicals you would see in a garden mm-hmm. environment that in your landscape might be sedate and okay, but put it on the edge of a creek when it can wash in with winter runoff and get that nitrate level up so high, you're, you're going to kill everything. You're going to kill every fish in that creek. Yep. And that was left out there and propane cans and cooking oil and, you know, human feces in the creek where they had their bathroom and, you know, months and months of trash from their food and, you know, their camouflage tents. And I'm like, guys, why aren't we cleaning this up? We have a warbird that can take out like 5,000 pound net loads. This thing's massive. Mm-hmm. They're here for free. We have them dedicated. They've got fuel. We've got 30 guys from multiple agencies. They're like, no, we don't do that. We need to get out of here and get onto our next mission. And I thought from a wildlife officer standpoint, I said, well, we didn't do anything here today. Right. We stopped some plants from getting to the black market. Maybe that was that was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. That was necessary. Yeah. We didn't catch the bad guys. They probably think, okay, well, come find us. You'll just, oh, well, we lost one grow. Right. I didn't know at the time that these guys are part of an organization that's responsible for hundreds of grows in all of our states. So these guys were just going to get transplanted as a cartel operative of being good at what they do right into another grow somewhere else. Mm. They're a good commodity. And so if we don't take them out of circulation and arrest, try to prosecute them, they're out there doing more reuse. environmental da- yeah, reusing more environmental mm-hmm. damage. So 
that was my first exposure. And it was a long, long journey to get to the point of developing a specialized game warden only team to right what I thought were some of the wrongs then mm-hmm. and take all the lessons we learned. And I mean, that's jumping way ahead with a lot of hiccups in the way, right? you know, including um, that first gunfight we just talked about recently. Um, but that, that changed my, my view of how destructive quote unquote drug developers or, or drug growers can be. Like I said, it's an eye opener to me, John, as you're speaking, I'm just, uh, I keep putting myself in, in your shoes and I hope the listener does too. As, as you, you step in there and you see like you stepped into South America, you know, AK 47 strung and, you know, I don't know how many times as a game warden I've been bebopping through the woods and not, not even, you know, aware of that and right. you know step into something like that and not, not to that degree mind you but an illegal bear bait or yep. or grow I've, I've done that as well and you know it's just uh, yeah to put myself in those positions to see those things that you saw and and, and the other question comes to my mind is uh did, did you hike back up and break that dam out you know we we went back in and we did our own reclamation we did i, I figured um, you would it, it happened it didn't happen that day mm-hmm. but to your point of stumbling on something you just don't expect and and i'm sure you agree one of the coolest things about being a game warden is no day is the same absolutely right and like you said you're going back to check a bear bait or you're going to check a hunting Mm -hmm. camp or something weird and you run into the most bizarre thing you've never seen before so 10 15 years on the job and I'm, I'm sure you share this. It's like, wow, I just learned something. You know, I, I, I kind of got blindsided Absolutely. because I had tunnel vision. I had, I was narrow minded to my, I, I have a search image of what I'm seeing out there most of the time and what I expect. And Wayne, we fell into that same trap that day. I already had it in my mind. The only thing it could have been. And when it turned out, didn't right. turn out to be some farmer diverting water for his cattle. I was like, all right, you need to have a, you need to expand your horizon. Mm-hmm. And then to look at it as an environmental threat that wildlife officers not only should enforce and do something with, but we're actually mandated to. Right. I mean, under our statute, that's what we're sworn to protect, right? Mm-hmm. And public safety, like every other law enforcement officer and every other cop out there. And I saw, well, let's see, these guys aren't from here. I can tell you that. Um, just in what I'm seeing, they don't fit the normal profile of backwoods poacher. You stepped into South America. I stepped into South America. Yeah. I stepped into central Mexico, Michigan. Yeah. Didn't even know it. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, okay, so, and they got AK-47s. Right. And I know that those plants must be worth a little money. I didn't realize mm-hmm. that grow was about a $20 million operation at the time. Wow. I didn't know anything about the amount of money they were generating, what those plants were worth. We didn't know about those EPA banned toxic poisons that they put on the plants that they can't even get in America to keep all the animals and rodents and humans off their plants. I didn't know how nasty this stuff was. I didn't know that it was on the plants being sold and distributed to unknowing consumers all over the country. Kids experimenting with, with marijuana for the first 50th time or whatever it is, medical patients Mm -hmm. have no one, you know, no idea they're ingesting this stuff. That's killing everything else around it. Everything else within minutes, you know? And I mean, none of that was, None of that was known yet. Mm-hmm. But what I did know is I said, this is a totally different type of poacher wildlife enemy. We are not equipped to deal with this guy in traditional methods. This mm-hmm. looks more like a Sandinista soldier, not so much a, you know, a guy that's out poaching during spotlight at night and had a few too many drinks. Maybe he's going to get violent and sure he could. And mm-hmm. I've had, you and I have both had those moments, but this guy just doesn't belong here at all. And it's just, you know, that that's a threat to our public, obviously. And then you get into the environmental destruction he's complicit in, in his operation. And it kind of pretty much defines what game warden's got to do. It's just an unorthodox thing we're not used to. Right. And now the next struggle was 
So what am I going to do with this? And mm. it took a lot of months to process it of like, do I really want to go down this hole? Right. Because it's going to get ugly deep in it. Yeah. You, you felt obligated though, didn't you? I, I did, brother. I yeah. felt obligated. You know, I was, I was one of those game wardens that was in a lot of real wilderness area, but I was really close to an urban mecca of technology being mm-hmm. in Silicon Valley and being around really advanced SWAT units because they were from the Silicon Valley, like teams that were dedicated full time. They, uh, even though they were a city or a semi-rural team, they were really good at man tracking. They were really good at tactics, really good at shooting everything from SWAT training to you name it, sniper schools, all of that. And I just gravitated toward that anyway. It was like, okay, I'm a game warden. They're going to think I'm crazy being in this, but it can't hurt for me to test my skills and see what I can do in those trainings. And the byproduct of that would be not trying to change what I'm supposed to do as a game warden, but get a little bit of respect and credibility from these SWAT guys that are at the top of their agencies tactically and kind of think as the game warden is kind of the podunk backwoods cop. And maybe this guy can shoot because he's a hunter, but I'll bet he can't shoot like us. And then I would start going to schools and performing well. And pretty soon I had brothers and sisters in the urban police and military community that were, you know, at the higher echelons of special operations going, man, you know, game wardens are really good in the woods. They have no idea, mm-hmm. Wayne, that you guys and us and all of us from the States, we can hike forever. We can be quiet every day. We're stalking people and these guys don't do it daily. So they just had that stereotype of us. Yeah. And, and I have friends very similar and, you know, I always say, geez, I'm really intimidated by being around them because they're so tactically, that's what they do. And they're like, right. my, my good friends like Wayne, they're, they're intimidated by you because you go in the woods and you're good in the woods. By yourself. By yourself. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and yeah. those guys, uh, you know, they're good at urban yep. stuff. They're great shots or this, but when they get in the woods, they want a game warden. Yeah. Because they, they want him on point. Yeah. They want him navigating through this woods. They want him to see what's going on. And this became personal, I think, to you because they, they dammed up your, your your stream, they dammed Absolutely. up your river, they killed yep. your fish, they killed your frogs. Yep. And uh, to me, that pisses me off. Pissed me off too, brother. <laughs> well said. Yeah, yeah. no, it, it did. And it was home. Yes. You know, again, this was, I mean, literally this tributary was coming out of a 105,000 acre state park where I really learned to love what I later became. You know, I, I didn't even, I mean, if it hadn't been for learning to backpack and hike and all those outdoor skills in Co Park, you know, in high school and college, I wouldn't have been a game warden. And this was affecting that property. So it was mm. personal. And ironically, I mean, we talked a little bit about this before the show, but um, I was that one guy in the academy when I got to the Fish and Wildlife Academy or Cadet Academy in 1992 in Napa, Napa College in California that had never met a game warden or been contacted by one. And all my classmates are like, what planet do you live on, man? You're not, where are you from? That you you've been pretty stealthy. You've been, yeah, you've been hiding out. You've been like hiding under a rock. You know, you must be very introverted. Something's uh-huh. wrong. But no, it was serious. I was like, I mean, dad had me through hunter safety at nine. Avid outdoorsman. We were hunting waterfowl. We were hunting deer. We were trapping skeet shooting. I'm going on all these hunts. I'm learning to hand load. I'm getting mm. all into the precision rifle stuff. I'm in college now in my early 20s. And I've still never had a game warden check me. Wow. And so I'm a civil engineering major to try to make a living that's sort of creative, mm-hmm. you know, in, in San Jose State uh, University there. Boy, that sounds boring. It, it Yeah. Yeah, that's why... Uh, <laughs> you don't strike me as a civil engineer at no, all. No, no. I was following in my <laughs> uncle's footsteps, you know. We grew up pretty modest and I wanted to do something successful and, and provide for the family. And it was one of those things where it just seemed like the place to go. I like to draft and draw and yeah. I'm sort of going to be doing that. I was a semester into that. And then the winter five-week winter break hits... And my crazy brother outlaw and I are just 
dumb kids and he's already introduced me to my first backpacking trip in this very park. He's got this pack horse and we're going to go in for seven days in the dead of winter, right up until the day before Christmas into coast state park with rain gear. And we're going to explore all these lakes in the back country, 13 miles plus back that we've never been to. And there's going to be nobody in that park. The it's poor winter, horse. poor horse, <laughs> dumb kids. So touche, you know, on both ends. And what subsequently happens is I got to finish finals on a Friday and we end up getting into the woods like four in the afternoon. It's dark at five 30. So we're with candle lanterns and headlamps hiking all night. It is pouring rain. We finally find this lake we're trying to get to never forget. It's called Coit Lake. And we get in like two, three in the morning. We are soaked. We just, you know, get what dry clothes on we have. We go to bed. We get some sleep. We wake up in the morning. We have a Poor horse. The horse is like, you guys are idiots. <laughs> Lucky was the name of the pack horse. Oh, Lucky. Good, yeah. good yeah. thing. <laughs> Fits, right? And yeah, and so Lucky's doing his thing like dumb kids. Why do I do this? And uh, we, we make a fire. We got to dry our stuff out. We knew we weren't supposed to have a fire in the park, or we assumed we shouldn't have a fire in the park, but we did. Yeah. And we're there all morning, and here comes that green 4x4 truck in compound low winding down the steep hill. And I look up, and I'm like, wow, park rangers actually patrol back here this far in the winter. And it happened to be a game warden. Hmm. And he stopped and I didn't know it at the time, but he was just checking because that's when our black-tailed deer are in the deep rut or a little bit post-rut actually. Mm -hmm. They haven't quite shed yet. And the genetics in that park are monstrous. I mean, Boone and Crockett black-tailed genetics are in that park. So you'll just see them you mm-hmm. know, going through the park and he's back there doing a late season poacher patrol. Cause poacher camps guys at helicopter drop off in the park and go poach big trophy black tail and then fly out. I mean, it was that sinister back there. I later learned. And, uh, he's thinking we're a poacher camp cause no one is in the park. No one's dumb enough to be parked camped <laughs> in the winter. And when I found out what he did, I kept him there for two hours and he really? said the same thing like dumb kids. Yeah. But I kept him there for two hours, asking all these questions. My eyes were getting bigger. The adrenaline was dumping. He leaves. And Jeff, my brother outlaw, just goes, you are a changed man. You are just giddy. The energy is up. What is going on? And I go, uh, I think I need to go talk to an advisor at school. I think mm. I'm making a major change. And sure enough, we got out of that that uh, that trip. And right after Christmas, I went over to the criminal justice program at, at San Jose State, talked to a cool advisor on the break. And unbeknownst to me, it happened to be one of the finest criminal justice schools in the country, just wow. like engineering. So it was, it was very lucky. Yeah. I didn't miss any schooling. I was getting a lot of general ed. We're not and, talking about the horse anymore. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Off track, <laughs> the horse. <laughs> not lucky, the horse. Yeah. yeah. I did catch that. That was good. Um, but I, yeah, I changed and I just went for CJ and I just went, you know, to, yeah. to target being a game warden. God and sent game warden. God sent game warden. That's, that's, it was divine intervention, that's man. That's no doubt. Super no blessed, doubt. Changed yeah. your course of life. It did. It truly did. It was and, a crazy way it happened too. So. Yeah. And then you make an impact like no other game warden I know has made an impact. So, <laughs> that's, you know, wow. as okay. far as a, a, a war on, you know, whether it's, I, I look at the marijuana leaf on your book and I'm like, it wasn't a war on the marijuana. Yeah. It, and that's, it was an environmental war. Exactly. And Wayne, you just said it best because what people made the mistake of when War in the Woods first came out, and then it started with Hidden War a little bit, but through the publisher and through all the different TV we've done now, we've really made it a point to say, look, this is not an anti-cannabis message. doesn't matter where I sit on the issue or any mm-hmm. of us do in law enforcement. There's legal cannabis at the state level. And, and to be honest, if, if you're smoking cannabis, you don't want to be smoking this cannabis. That's it. 
Yeah. That's it exactly. So um, this is an anti-environmental crime, anti-threat to public safety message. This isn't a ding on legitimate growers. Mm -hmm. And like I just pointed out in the presentation with all of our brothers and sisters from all over the country, um, we actually have a percentage of organic growers in California that didn't even know the cartels were doing what they're doing right next to them in California Mm. are as outraged. They're as environmentally conscious on protecting their water, getting it from the right source, never putting anything that's going to taint this weed that's legal on the market now. Right. And they care as much about their environment as we do as game wardens. So from the old grower communities where it used to be handcuffs, it's turned to handshakes and hugs. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've even had growers that are supporting the MET team we built and the whole cannabis program in California, Fish and Wildlife. And I've had them say in Northern California, in the Emerald Triangle, you guys are awesome. You're earth warriors. And I went, earth warriors. That's like kind of a different kind of term for a yeah. high-speed tactical unit, but I'll take it. Yeah. That is really cool. And so they're educating. They're putting up money in foundation support. They're sending our message. They're buying the book. You can, know? can you believe it? I mean, I would you never, ever thought? I would never have imagined it in a million years that it would become one a specialty, one a focus you know, that, that needed to be handled in the, in the law enforcement front of, uh, as far as resource protection goes. And I never thought we'd be endorsed by you know, traditionally the, you know, the, legit, the cannabis community as well as your more right-wing conservative, patriotic, you know, America gun-loving crowd, which love what the team's doing because nobody wants to see, you know, foreign cartels in our country for one doing what Mm. they're doing. And it doesn't matter where you sit on the immigration spectrum. This isn't an anti-immigration message. It's not a wall build or don't build, you know, message. Certainly there's some controversy generated and some, some discussion based on what hidden war points out of what we learned of how embedded these guys are and how easy they are to, to keep here right? in high level debriefs and some of the adventure stories. But in this book, we go deeper than I could in the first book because we know a lot more. Mm-hmm. We're the first tactical team to tackle this. Um, we even formed a sniper element within Met to do overwatch and do the long rifle support and watch these guys at long range through good optics to really understand how they operate, how, they how work, deliberate they are, how skilled they are. Their habits. Yeah, their habits. And we, we want to make sure we don't make the mistake of underestimating this type mm. of environmental criminal because they're living in our woods six, seven, eight months a year if they're not caught. Right. So they know every bird sound. They know every trail, twig snapping. They have their noisemakers out there. They become part of the wood, the landscape. They are. They are, and we're literally going into it's their just backyard. like when I tell you know when I when I teach hunters and stuff, I'm like, if you had a deer standing in your living room, would you notice it? Right. <laughs> and they're like, <laughs> That's a well, good yeah, analogy, yeah. Well, one's yeah. about hunters standing in the deer's living room. Yeah. You know, you have to become part of that landscape. You have to smell like part of that landscape. Yep. And, and drift in it and glide and it, just exactly. And yeah. that's what those guys are doing by spending so much time out there. Yeah. They're becoming part of the landscape. So when the bird sound changes or the bird sound squawks, they take notice because that's what happens when a fox comes through or something disturbs that. Exactly. So it could be somebody, a person. So now I'm paying attention. You know, now my guard's on. You know, yep. so that that's exactly what they're doing. They're becoming part of it and just makes it so much more dangerous for, for you guys trying to, to get in there and, and do all this stuff. And, and it's just because they're so much more aware. It is. And, and hence, I mean, you and I being game wardens for, you know, two long careers. And think how long it took us to hone our stalking tactics to get into a camp and sneak in on guys you got to surveil. Mm. When they know the trail, they got their noisemakers. And I'm not talking about cartel growers. I'm just yeah, talking, about, talking Ill- about poachers. Poachers. Yeah. An illegal bait operation, you know, um, an illegal bait station where baiting is legal. Right. You know, uh, 
guys spotlight a particular canyon. I mean, yeah, how much time? Especially with these cameras now, too. You're yeah. constantly looking. You're and looking. And what is out of place? Where's the yep. camera? Where's yep. the, There's always a camera now. I'm like, yeah. you know, I always told my guys, you're always being recorded and you're always on film. So yep. if you keep that in mind, yeah. always. So Darkest part of the woods, you're still. Yeah. Yep. So I, I got to tell this story because it's it's, it's oh, pretty yeah. entertaining. You know, uh, uh, we're going to run a decoy and uh, Glenn Lucas, one of my guys, he, he's got this all place all, all figured out and everything. And we pull into this nice log cabin. We park there and that's where we're going to hide the cruisers because it's only seasonal. Yeah. So, and I stand there and I'm like looking around, looking around. He's like, you don't like this spot, do you? I'm like, no, I'm, I'm okay with this spot. I'm just looking for the camera. And he's like, he just got done peeing. So he's like, I guess he's what? like, you think there's a camera? I'm like, you, you look, look at this place. Of course there's yeah. a camera. And all of a sudden he looks up on the telephone pole. He goes like that one there. And he's like, they saw me peeing. <laughs> I'm like, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. No, there's no doubt. We was, didn't, we did get a shooter on our decoy too, but yeah. you know, that but was that cool. was yeah. just a lesson. And that's, yep. that's what I'm in the woods now. I am constantly looking for cameras because you just never know where you're going to see them. You don't. That's such a good point. I mean, in the last five years, that's just blown up. Yes. And uh, and we've seen it in the cartel grows too. I, I would assume. You know, they're, they're starting to use them as well, mm-hmm. um, obviously. I Especially mean, if the cell phone ones. I mean, think yep. how, what a benefit to them it is. You know, hey, we just got a hit on that. Oh, look, yep. there's a crew coming in. Yeah. And better back off on going in ourselves. Yeah. Walking into an ambush. So, yeah. Yeah, it, it's changed the game. Uh, it really has. And I think from the standpoint of uh, just situational awareness and tactical savvy for game wardens, it's never been more important, you know, for that very reason, because... You know, whether you're doing an illegal poacher or you're going up against an armed cartel grower, mm-hmm. you know, just getting in and out of those places safely on a scout where you may not even know a grow is there, you know, your your skills and your awareness just have to be at, at top peak. They, mm-hmm. they really do. And it's it's changed the game. And now surveillance is the issue, like you said. Right. And, uh, you know, not only um, are you going to get compromised and burn your case, hey, hello, now mm. I know him. I right. got a face. Great. Right. No. So that's... um. That, that's that's pretty um, eye-opening, at, le- at least for me. And unlike most of the poachers aren't going to shoot back. You Usually know. not. We're fortunate in our career that most yeah, most don't. aren't. Some are. Uh, yeah. There there are those out there that will shoot back. And right. you know, I've had you know incidents where you know other wardens have told me that they you know they've had people tell them that they had them in their scope one time. Yep. You know, so that that that's certainly uh, unnerving. You know, but they didn't get the trigger pulled on them. There's some kind of resistance there, unlike, I think, is the people that you're dealing with. I don't know if there is a resistance there, because once they, they, they yeah. start shooting. Yeah, it was, you, you said it best when you said most poachers aren't going to shoot. And then on top of that, we've got, well, probably 90 plus percent of our, you know, constituents that we contact are allies with a gun that want to see us, you know, and we're going to do a safety check and, mm-hmm. you know, they're not going to gun for us. They're our eyes and ears out there. Right. But then when we get into the cartel idea... You know, and and after the after the the first the first officer involved shooting in two thousand five, when we were ambushed, and it was an AK forty seven armed grower, actually a defender of a grow during harvest time, and when my partner was shot through both legs, um, almost fatally. Fortunately, he survived. I'd never seen that level of aggression mm. against any law enforcement, much less us as game wardens being part of that allied agency right. team. You know, where these guys will lie in wait get behind fortified positions, wear the camouflage, wear the BDUs, right. have the assault weapons, and then feel under under their supporters or their religion or whatever that they are blessed to fight and take out law enforcement for the sake of a legal enterprise, which is their drug trafficking, 
it's actually blessed through their concept of their faith, if you will, and they're they're praying to patron saint and deities that are supposed to keep us and invi- keep them invisible from us, literally turn them invisible, as mm. it's been interpreted. So that level of violence was nothing I expected. No, and it got to be where. By the time I retired, we had been involved in six officer-involved shootings in grow sites. We had probably avoided another 40 or 50 just because of the advent of some amazing canines. Mm-hmm. And we didn't have canines when my partner was shot in 2005. It might have been a, it would have been a much different game then. Right. Those bad guys would have been detected by her amazing nose mm-hmm. probably a quarter mile before we ever walked into that. Right. But that, you know, and I go into that in Hidden War especially when I really go into the bonds and these unique canines and mm. really, I think a national record holder right. beyond the numbers, but in her performance, canine Phoebe, who we just lost last year from leukemia. Right. And, and, um, and you know, John, I, I, I'd like to do a podcast just on the canines with you. Cause uh, we can do I, that. we're, we're going to be doing hours. I think the, the, the way we can go and yeah. d- do you, do you mind going into the shooting at all? Because I know, you know, sometimes that's sensitive area. And, yeah. you know, sometimes, you know, there's timings that I don't like talking about the shooting that I was involved in. And sure. certainly, you know, I don't mind sharing at times, but other times I do. Again, I keep putting my, my putting myself in your shoes in the emotions. And, you know, I, I just, I, I can... I can be yeah. there and I can, I, I stress out just by thinking of what you guys went through. Cause that's a, a tra- traumatic for the guy that got shot traumatic for the guys that were there. Right. Three hour rescue. You said, yeah. Three hour wait for an air three rescue. Three hours must've seemed like an eternity. It was, it was the most agonizing day of my career. I can't even imagine <laughs> that, you know, I can't even imagine that, that, uh, that, that to have your friend, your patrol partner shot and you do everything to try to save his life. And thank God his life was saved. Yeah. That's it, incredible. It was one of those days that again, I think there was a little divine intervention mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll, I'll break it down. And, um, it's hard to talk about no matter how much I talk about it, but this is one we talk about a lot. Okay. Our cadets, um, get a class that we put together myself and the sheriff's deputies that were involved, excuse me, in that incident back in 05, strictly to go through, you know, basically an officer involved shooting debrief, mm-hmm. an after action report where we have the pictures, we have the radio tapes, we have some video content, we have lessons learned, tactical breakdowns, forensic diagrams in a PowerPoint. Mm. And we really brought it together because this shooting even was one of the most unorthodox, unusual <laughs> mm. incidents from an officer involved shooting standpoint that any agency had encountered in the Bay Area and Silicon Valley at the time. Right. And the fact that there were three game wardens on that raid team with the sheriff's deputies also shocked everybody because when, uh, when my partner was shot and when he got off the hill, we probably had somewhere in the nature of 20 news crews there, if not more. Um, we had SWAT teams from all over the Bay Area. We had DEA federally there, babysitting that mountainside for about three days. I'll definitely go into the particulars of how tough the day was and why, but I'll break it down to concept, you know, and frame of mind. And we get to what you and I talked about before the show. What do people traditionally think game wardens do? Mm. They check licenses. Right. They're the, you know, they're the wildlife police. They yep. deal with animals. They check hunters. What they, the they drive around and drink coffee. I've, I've had heard that one before. They drink coffee. Yeah, they do a lot of that. It's like, yeah, thanks. Uh, um, but then, you know, what are they doing? Like tactical officers with SWAT guys from mm. the sheriff's department or from DEA going in on a drug case. How does that have anything to do with game we're supposed to do? They're not, they're not supposed to be doing that. And nobody at the time when this shooting happened, including, I think, our own agency, I didn't know to the magnitude other than what I had seen on my first raid just the year before that we just talked about 
you know, with all the fish and the frogs right. um, being destroyed. Um, nobody really knew the environmental damage magnitude that these, uh, that these cartel growers were, were impacting upon our lands. Mm. They also didn't know that they were heavily armed and in the worst case situation will defend their groves to the death and shoot right. not only the public and our citizens out there enjoying public lands, mm-hmm. but our officers. Right. And so um, when we went in there that day, we were basically six officers between two agencies. Mm-hmm. Um, we had different radios, you know, and, um, and like our, our officer involved debrief presentation goes into, we're very candid and very humble about saying, here's all the ways we were not prepared that day. Right. We made a lot of mistakes. It's the lessons learned. It was a total lessons learned way. And mm. I mean, it was, it was beyond how many lessons can you learn in a day that are life or death mm. that are going to change your life forever. And that's no exaggeration. We didn't have radio compatibility with our sheriff's partners. Our team was too small. We didn't have the trauma medicine supplies or the training to deal with an assault rifle, steel core, you know, AK-47, right. military war round going through my partner's legs and four, hole, and four holes to keep him from bleeding out of. Mm-hmm. Um, and then dealing with securing a site that was what we thought was about 5,000 plants turned out to be in excess of 10. Wow. And then there were more plots, you know, within a mile up the hill and other armed defenders overseeing harvest time. You know, there could have been as many as 20 or 30 growers and, and gunmen on that hill taken out what at the time was a record for our county of like 24,000 plants. Wow. We had no idea how big it was. Mm-hmm. We had no idea how armed they were. We had no idea that the growers were dressed in full camouflage. They had dug out parapets where they could kind of hide behind dirt berms that would actually stop rifle ammunition. Right. And then they were situated in such a way that as the sun would rise, you know, they would, they would, it would diffuse and, and camouflage even more their hiding position mm-hmm. and everyone, including us coming through the grow public or law enforcement to, to come through that area and continue in their direction was coming from a slight uphill angle mm-hmm. right into them. And even though we had stopped before we went and we crawled on our hands and knees through a brush tunnel to get into that grow that was about 50 yards by 50 yards square on the top of a pressure ridge and you know, everyone on that team, I mean, even though we weren't an official tactical unit, every game warden on that team, myself and my two younger partners, were all seasoned hunters. We'd hunted bad guys for a long time. We knew how to be quiet. So we were we were really quiet. They're pretty squared away. They were really squared away for mm-hmm. young guys. Yeah, best of the really good guys. Yeah. And then my sheriff's deputies, they were all sniper team members and they were all woodsy hunters as well. Nice. So, you know, they did, they were more rural than they were urban. Mm-hmm. So everybody had the skill sets needed, even though we hadn't worked together. Right. And honestly, that's probably what saved more lives that day. Because I think if it had been a, di- a different mix of personalities that didn't jive and gel and didn't have the similar training, although apart, um, and didn't understand situational awareness and fields of fire and, and stealth and stalking tactics, I think they would have got two more of us and probably fatally. Mm. because what I'm about to say is a, as I get into the story, it'll get a little deeper and, and it's, it's pretty chilling and what I was up against and my partners. So what we ended up having to do is we get through the tunnel and we put up our little mini binoculars and we're scanning and we just waited, you know, a good several minutes and everything was calm. I mean, there wasn't a bird chirping. Things were a little too quiet. Mm-hmm. You know, honestly, I could tell you the hair was on standing up on the back of my neck. Everybody felt something was wrong but we picked apart every part of that grow as far as we could see and did not hear, see, or give us anything tangible that there was a threat out there. And then when we started doing a skirmish line to clear that grow site that was full of five, six foot marijuana plants in Manzanita, we had to kind of get out in a skirmish line not to have crossfire and clear it slowly up to the front 
mm-hmm. and where we got eventually to a brush wall where the grow ended. And that's where the gunmen were hiding. And so they got the first shot off that they could get. And it happened to be my partner's upper legs at a diagonal because he was shuffle stepping tactically through the grow like he was trained and doing properly. Mm-hmm. And um, fortunately, the bad guy only got one shot off because right after that shot happened, I heard my partner go down and he said, I'm hit. The bastard shot me. And he said some other colorful superlatives mm-hmm. I won't throw out on the, on the broadcast. Yep. But it wasn't a panic. You know, it wasn't, oh my gosh, I've been hit. It was, he was pissed off. Mm. I mean, you could tell the warrior in him as a young officer. Yep. I, I was just so moved by that. I was so proud of that. And he dropped and he scooted back as much as he could, even though his legs were shut out from under him. And I remember when I finally made contact with him after I had my engagement with the bad guy, we were basically boot to boot about five yards behind where the shooting had happened. And he was shot through both legs and he didn't have the energy to hold up his M1A Scout 308 battle rifle. That had to get dropped to the ground. And he was already putting a pressure, pressure dressing with his left hand on his inner right thigh to try to, he knew he was hit somewhere under his BDU. So he was just mm-hmm. trying to stop whatever bleeding he could going right to right. trauma 101, staying calm from that standpoint. Mm-hmm. And he put, he had his Glock out one handed to still cover down range and protect the team, not just himself. Right. So that was the first reason we were blessed because, because it was Kyle that was hit and he handled it so amazing for mm-hmm. being a young new officer. The second part of that was right after he went down, I remember seeing, which we later learned was his gunman that had got off the one shot, but his gunman come out from behind the brush and start to move laterally through the brush. And very hard to see. I remember seeing green camouflage. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing a long gun that looked like an SKS, you know, mm-hmm. a fixed stock AK derivative. Yeah, I can't say for sure. It was kind of a flash blur and he's coming around and the gun's kind of pointing in the direction of where my partner was down. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, one, I'm thinking, who shot us? We've already announced police. One shot just rang out. Why is he coming toward us again? Right. This is crazy. Mm-hmm. And why does he look like a soldier, like a Sandinista? I mean, I didn't know anything about the drug cartels from Mexico, any of that at this point. Mm-hmm. He's coming around that corner, and I see the gun coming up toward my partner, and I just make an announcement. I start to say police in Spanish. I get policia. I'm about to say, put your hands up, drop the weapon. And I get out about half a police and that weapon turns towards me. And I just remember engaging with my M14 mm-hmm. battle rifle, my 7.62. And I don't remember moving, uh, step into the rear and doing a tactical retreat. But I was doing that as I was firing. That was coming down to training. That was coming down right. to, we had just kind of done a hard reset on our tactical training program. We had just redesigned. I was part of our statewide firearms committee at the time that got to help drive the bus of changing our rifle qualification course. Mm-hmm. We finally had our first patrol rifle. And even though it was an M14 and big and heavy, yeah. it was proven. And we didn't have a universal patrol rifle um, ever. It was a hodgepodge. So uh, I was able, very blessed to be part of the training committee statewide to make that rifle program a reality. Mm-hmm. And what was surreal is we had all trained together on this rifle within the last couple of years. And now we were all using it for special operations, non-traditional game ward mission and now I'm firing my gun on duty to protect my partner and myself and the rest of the guys. And I'm moving with some skills that we had never even done two years ago. And I don't even remember doing it. Mm. And that was a testament to muscle memory Your training. Yep. And if I had been standing still, the way that guy was pivoting the rifle, he was at 15 yards. Mm-hmm. He would have got a lucky shot at me for sure. Maybe shot my partner again. But what also happened was we had a second gunman that I never saw. 
And he was in a kneeling position behind that same parapet where Kyle Shooter was from. And he had a long gun, trained on me and my other warden partner, Adam, through the brush, and we never saw him. Mm. And that was at seven yards away. But my partner on the sheriff's, sheriff's department, um, he saw him. And he basically got up on him and gave an announcement. And he and one other sheriff's deputy, call sign Snake and Apache, got on those guys with their AR-15s, and they, they neutralized him before he could get a shot off. And I later learned, and like the picture I showed in today's presentation, something we go into the officer-involved shooting debrief, the first story, is that 12-gauge was a chopped Remington 1100, and it had double-odd buckshot mm. maxed out. He had a semi-automatic pistol on him. That was trained right on me and two other game wardens. And seven we, yards? Seven yards, yeah. and we never saw it. So that was a domino effect of where I say divine intervention, you know, completely mm-hmm. kicked in. For Snake to see that bad guy a nanosecond before he pulled the trigger on me, for Kyle to get shot and go down but still stay in the fight and not be a, a target to hit a second time, mm-hmm. for me to be moving to cover where Craig was shooting and then seeing this bad guy step out, all those things, the way it went down, is as heavily armed as both these guys were, and we know there were more guys besides those two. Mm-hmm. We really felt, as bad as it was, we felt lucky more officers didn't get shot. Right. And then you mentioned the three-hour wait. Mm. What was crazy is we later learned that no law enforcement officer in the entire country had ever been shot in a trespass marijuana grow being run by the drug cartels. I'm not, I think they've been shot at, but nobody had been shot and hit. And now one officer finally gets hit, happens to be a game warden, which caused all kinds of controversy, but it kind of changed how all agencies do those jobs. Mm -hmm. At the time, we looked at it differently because a lot of teams whether it was sheriffs or it was forest service or it was DEA, they didn't go in with all the equipment they needed. Right. I was finding that not only with us, but everybody. Mm-hmm. So, and then we didn't have the air support we needed. You know, I talk about this in, in the first book and in, in uh, chapter two and War in the woods. And I, uh, I go into it in the debrief much more in depth to law enforcement groups that I can talk about that I can't talk in a public forum. Mm-hmm. But Wayne, the thing with that was we thought it was pretty simple. Here's our coordinates. We have a, we have a young officer game warden, bleeding out, going into shock, fighting shock. And even though our minimal battle dressings we have are holding back the bleeding, they're not stopping the bleeding. Right. He is going to bleed to death. He is going to go into shock and not recover if we don't get him out of here quick. Mm -hmm. And we keep calling for air support and they keep saying 15 minutes away. And nobody realized at the time that not all helicopter units will come into a hot zone and and send a hoist basket down to take out an injured officer. So we had fire choppers. We kept putting up our smoke canisters to signal helicopters that were flying over to know our location. And they were Fox News, you know, or a news chopper. It mm. was just, it was total chaos in the air. Mm-hmm. And this went on for two and a half hours. And at the two and a half hour point, I saw my partner's eyes start to dilate. And I started, he started to say, John, I'm getting really tired. I think I'm just going to take a nap and just doze off for a while. And complete terror inside that I tried not to show. It's like, this is it. Mm. You know, I mean, there should have been a helicopter here over an hour ago. And when he was very close, very close to going to that point of no return, that's when paramedics made it in on foot. And that's when suddenly, you know, we were able to declare that the hillside was, was safe enough. And that fire chopper brought that medic down with the hoist basket and we got him stabilized. We got him out of there. And then we all took a short haul ride under the helicopter line and we got out of there. And then 
the whole officer-involved shooting aftermath and the interviews and the counseling and the administrative time off and, you know, knowing the things you've been through without going into detail, you know what I'm talking about. Mm. That was all foreign to us. Right. And what was ironic was these were my partner wardens and I promoted to be a supervisor like 20 days before the shooting happened. This was their first marijuana operation, trespass grow operation. They both really wanted to do it. And even though we hadn't had any real violence, but since I had seen those first growers with the AKs and then right. we brought a team back and we chased them and they just ran away. And, you know, we were just kind of helping other agencies at that point. I was always spooked. I was like, I had the chills going into these missions going, this is a different animal. Mm-hmm. We're dealing with a different mindset of an environmental criminal and it's going to get crazy. And that day it got crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was the first one. And since then we've, uh, we had had six by the time I retired last year either collectively as a team or individuals doing that work with other teams. We had a total of six and that's a lot of, that's a lot of shootings. That is a ton of shootings for, for any cops career, Mm -hmm. but that's about probably 40 less than we would have had. Had we not had these amazing canines that Mm -hmm. developed after that first shooting, when we had that injury. Um, One thing about hidden war that's cool. That's I think kind of the fun part about the book is canines, 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 the personalities, how unique, uh, you know, game warden tactical or traditional yeah. dual purpose canines need to be from a, mm-hmm. from a, a standard police dog or a military war dog. Yes. They're kind of right in the middle. They're kind of Goldilocks, you know, not too hard, not too soft. They're nice. just right. Yep. <laughs> so, um, a lot, a lot of canine stories and they've saved our lives many times over again. Right. John Norris, Lieutenant with uh, California retired. The book is hidden war, hidden war. It is that's for sure. And uh, we're kind of uncovering Hidden War, and uh, I think you guys should pick up the book and read it, because uh, you're going to find out so much more. And like I said, it, Hidden War is right, and you know the marijuana leaf doesn't do it justice, because it's his environmental war that uh, John led a, a team for. And you know I just think about the people drinking that water down at the other end, right. you know, the effects, the, yeah. the families, the, uh, the, the things we've found out with birth defects. And there's so much more to this that I think people need to, to grasp onto. That the marijuana leaf catches my eye, but it, it's so much more in depth. And uh, yeah, it's hidden. So let's let's unpeel that. Grab that book, read it, peel those pages. I bet it'll be a uh, one you can't can't let down until you're done. So this is this is great. We're in into about an hour, and I, I I could go hours and hours with you just because I think we got a we got a good chemistry and very and, much so. And, yeah. and and I'm enjoying it, and I'm sitting on the edge of my seat, and I hope while <laughs> my listeners are, and I'm looking at my SD card running out, which really sucks. So uh, we will uh, talk many more subjects down the road, man. That, that, a, that's what great. A, what a so, good start with you. Uh, Thanks so much. Absolutely. Well, thank you too, John. So, John, we just got through listening to our podcast that we uh, recorded back in July. And, uh, you know, I guess, I guess I started building up some excitement here at the beginning when I introduced this because, <laughs> you know, uh, tr- trying to introduce it. I mean, uh, Warden's Watch, we've done a really good job. 52,000 downloads for the year. You know, we're in the top 10, 20% of podcasters already, and that's just a year out. Take it to the next level and uh, letting the people know that uh, you and I are going to be collaborating is the next level. Yeah, we've got some really good stuff going on, and what a, what a great first year you've had with Warden's Watch, Wayne. It's so cool to see a story about our thin green line of game wardens, you know, specific around that topic, getting so much good traction, man, and kudos to you, and uh, I really appreciate being on, and the episodes we've done have been amazing, but now 
we're going to kind of take it to the next level together and, 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 and try to get the word out even further. And I'm excited about that prospect. Yeah, so am I. I mean, it's it's going to be uh, really, really, really awesome. And I, I think, you know, we're, we're going to try to do another podcast and we're going to call that the Thin Green Line. And we're going to make that membership and membership driven. So people that have questions about things, they can ask us and we can address them. And it just, it, it's a whole different aspect because Warden's Watch, I kind of frame it around the game wardens. And now we can frame the thin green line around what the members or the listeners want of that thin green line. I think that that's an exciting prospect. Yeah, it's a good way to go. And something else that I'm excited about doing our thin green line podcast is the more direct contact we're going to have with listeners like you and I've discussed, we're going to have the opportunity to do a special subject matter. For instance, how to be a game warden. What are the clues? What are the tips when you're starting out and stuff that's generated from our listeners on specific wildlife related enforcement issues or anything related that they want to hear, hear about, you know, more structured, more specific. So it's going to be a very unique podcast that goes a lot further than we can on a standard format. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. And again, we're going to put that through Patreon as a membership type thing. Just to let you guys know, uh, John's on the road now. He's squeezing this in because, you know, at the end of, you, you listen to his p- podcast and I, uh, I mean, I, I got a lot of anticipation built up, a lot of, uh, a lot of feelings come through. That was, uh, listening to that podcast, you know, it was two game wardens talking, John, and it came out really good if you ask me because I can feel both of our emotions because we've both been in those situations and I was thinking back to my situations and you were putting yourself back in that situation I can tell and it was just uh it it was you know it it was touching if you ask me yeah I I agree man and it was uh it always stirs up those emotions and it always triggers kind of reliving the event right and after after the craziness you went through and, and your officer involved shooting and all the ones we were involved in it's very interesting that you know, when you start to communicate across the country and you're way over on the east side of the country and I'm way over on the west side of the country, but the experiences, the dangers, the challenges, and the sacrifices that our thin green line of game wardens are making all over the country, it's it's all one and the same, you know, and we're all under those same challenges and um, it's, it's intense to relive, it's intense to tell the story, but most importantly, it's great that people are hearing it, that they're, they're taking a listen, they're relating to what we're doing out there. They're relating to, you know, what all first responders are doing. And especially on the wildlife enforcement front, that it's not an easy job. So um, kind of hard to get back on that emotional roller coaster, but definitely worth it. And I'm really glad uh, you wanted to wanted to breach that topic. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no doubt. And, and you bring up a good point, the East Coast and the West Coast connection. I, that's what excites me. I mean, you're out there. I'm here. I, I think, you know, I can relate to a lot of the East Coast wardens and you, the West Coast, and then interpret that and bring it out to the listener. I just, uh, that that's that's quite an opportunity, and I'm, I'm glad we're really collaborating. Yeah, I am too, because you kind of hit it on the head, Wayne, when you talk about all of our little areas of, of friendships and brother and sisterhoods we built inside our game warden circles. And now that you're retired and I'm retired, we're getting throughout the country a lot more sending the message. And I know we're going to be at the NOEA conference here together in July and, and doing some broadcasts together, but, but live interviews, which will be amazing. Um, I'll be speaking at that event and we'll also be doing some more outreach and promotions and things like that there. But it'll be a great opportunity for us to really get face to face with some other game wardens for the new Thin Green Line podcast and also start to bring all of those different perspectives from all over the country that we just don't normally get to share. So 
let's rock this, man. Absolutely. You know, our next podcast, we'll get together, we'll lay some foundations and uh, let everybody know what's going on, and uh, we'll get it going. So uh, thanks for taking out of your time as you're driving, John, to, to fill the listeners in to what's, what, what's the next step with Warden's Watch, and, and thanks for uh, joining forces. Absolutely, man. Can't wait. And thanks to all our listeners out there for tuning into Warden's Watch. It's going to be the thin green line. We're going to have a lot of great content for you, and uh, can't wait to get into it. Exciting. Thanks, John. Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experiences of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from game wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves game wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch.